It'll be one of the greatest conflicts in the history of sports. People will forever remember the heroics of this day. Names will be etched on the walls of history, never to be forgotten. Nobody will ever forget what they had the privilege of witnessing. It's going to be an incredible conflict. Or so they've been telling me for the last week or so. What am I talking about? I'm talking about tonight, Super Bowl 58, the Chiefs against the 49ers. It's going to be one of those epic contests where people just, uh, there's blood and sweat and tears and strain and nobody's ever going to forget what tonight was like. Except, we all know the truth, don't we? The truth is, in a week, we will have forgotten who lost the game. In a month, most people will be struggling to remember the winner. Very few people could tell you who won last year. And the ones who could tell you probably couldn't tell you the score. Every year we have the same epic contest, this conflict of wills when everybody has to stop what they're doing to watch what's happening in the Super Bowl. But you know the truth is it's really only one night's diversion. It's hard to consider this a critical conflict, especially when we recognize that real war is raging all around the world in some places folks are losing their lives daily and it's hard to compare what happens on a field to what's happening in the world around us. I'll watch the end of the Super Bowl tonight, but it is far from the greatest conflict the world has ever known. But if you'd like to know, I can tell you about that conflict. The greatest conflict the world has ever seen began in the Garden of Eden, it will conclude on the Day of Judgment. It reached its crescendo at the cross. I'm talking about the conflict between good and evil, between darkness and light. I'm talking about the conflict between the Lord and that rebel Lucifer who led a third of the angels to rebel against the Lord. On the cross, Satan did his best to destroy God's Messiah. If he could do away with Jesus, then every man, woman, boy, and girl would die without salvation, without hope. What a conflict between the two. Over the past few weeks, we've been discovering what the cross meant. We looked at what the cross meant to God the Father. We looked last week at what the cross meant to God the Son. Today, I want to share a message about what the cross meant to the enemy, to Satan, to Lucifer. What that means regarding the spiritual conflict we continue to experience today. I want us to look together, together at what the cross meant to the devil. 
You see, from the beginning of time, Satan has always been the enemy of the cross. It began when the tempter brought sin into the world for the very first time. He convinced Adam and Eve to question God's ways, to reject God's plan, to follow the paths of selfishness and sin. In spite of the fact that God had told them, if you do these things, you're going to die, they chose to stop listening to the Lord and to listen to the voice of the enemy. And on that day, Lucifer was convinced that he had corrupted the world forever, that there was no possibility that this planet could ever be redeemed. But God had another plan. Genesis 3.15, the Lord said this to Satan. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, what exactly does that mean, this pronouncement that the Lord made at the beginning of human history? It says this. The Bible guarantees there will be conflict as long as this world exists between the powers of darkness and light. It says that the seed of woman would be bruised on the hill. That was the first prophecy of the coming of the cross. But the result of that bruising would be that the seed of the serpent would be crushed. God made a promise that the cross of Christ would lead to the devil's destruction. So what am I saying? What I'm saying is this. From the very beginning of time, from the very moment that humanity entered this world, when God created Adam and Eve, there was already this malevolent being. His name was Lucifer. And he was a rebel angel, and he was determined that he would overturn everything God was and everything God loved. And he began with those two, and he convinced them to rebel against the Lord. And because of that, they brought death into this planet. But from that moment, God already had a plan in place. And that plan would include the cross of Jesus Christ that would not come about until thousands of years later. But the promise was always there. And that's why Satan is an enemy of the cross. He always has been because he recognizes that for all that he tried to do to corrupt humanity, God still had a plan to offer some kind of new redemption, new chance, new salvation to those who have been trapped by the power of sin. You see, Satan has always made it his mission to seek to separate men from God. The Bible tells us that he is willing to use any means necessary to convince people to reject the Lord and follow another way. He has always done his very best to do anything he could to put a blockade between ourselves and the Lord, to create an impenetrable barrier, an uncrossable chasm, a means by which man would be separated from God with absolutely no hope, and absolutely no help. You know, some people think for you to be influenced in your life by the enemy, then you have to embrace something like Satanism. 
in your life. But the Bible tells us it's not necessary to do something like that. In fact, Satan uses all kinds of ways to separate us from God. And some of those ways are ways that on the surface seem so benevolent, so easy. It doesn't seem like it's such a bad thing to do to live for yourself. To follow your own ways. To choose your own truth. After all, isn't that what we should be free to do? Satan doesn't have to say to you and me, bow down and worship me. In order to separate us from God. Look at some of the ways the Bible describes what he does. The Bible says he entices. That is, he makes wickedness seem like it's such a good thing to do. And he entices you and he says, just a little bit. To Eve, he said, just a bite. Just try it. Just see what it'll be like. It'll be fine. If you don't like it, you can go back to the way things used to be. And that's the same thing he says to us as well. When he says, step outside of God's will. Do things your own way. You're going to like it. And if you don't, you can always go back again. He entices us into sin. He accuses us. So many of us are trapped in the power of sin because we say to ourselves, you know, I wish I had never messed up. I wish I had never made a mistake, but I have and I've done it and God doesn't want me anymore and God can't love me and God won't forgive me and he accuses you and says, guilty, guilty, guilty and God is through with you. He lies. He tells us things that we want to hear. So many times he distorts the truth. You know what I mean? He distorts the truth just enough to make it sinful. Heard someone say a long time ago, the devil will be glad to give you a pound of truth if you will buy an ounce of lie. There's a lot of truth to that. If he can just get you to question the Lord. If he can just get you to not trust the Lord altogether. He lies. He attacks. He knows where your weaknesses are. And every one of us have them. All of us have those weak places in our lives that we struggle with and we recognize them for what they are. And that's where he attacks you. He justifies. He says it's okay. Just this once. It's all right if you want to do that. I, I'll, I'll never forget years ago visiting in the hospital with a fellow who is very desperately ill and probably not going to survive and his family had asked me will you go and talk to him we don't think he has a relationship with Jesus and, and I did my very best to talk to him but you know what he said to me I'll never forget this he said you know it's okay I know what you're talking about it's okay for you but the Lord and I we have our own personal understanding." 
Satan had justified him making wrong choices by saying that's okay because this is just between you and me and as far as I know he left this world without a relationship with Christ and he tempts us he comes and he begins to say to you but what if or why not let's try he tempts us he does all of these things to distract our eyes and our attention from trusting Christ. Whatever it takes just to distract your attention away, that's what he wants to do. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Satan's strategy has never changed from the beginning. Challenge God's truth, question God's motive, and reject God's lordship. It worked in the garden. It still works today. And whoever he can convince to turn away from the Lord is one more soul that will face eternal lostness. Satan intended the cross to be his final weapon against the Lord that's why the Bible says that he entered Judas in order to use him to betray Jesus he thought this is how I will take the son of God and destroy his influence and take his life away some people have read that verse that says Satan entered Judas and assumed that meant Judas Iscariot had no choice about betraying the Lord. That somehow when Satan entered into him, he went into a kind of a trance and there was nothing he could do to prevent himself from betraying Jesus. He was forced to do what he does. But that's not what Luke is telling us. Satan didn't have to forced Judas to betray the Lord he used that same strategy he's always used greed pride doubt he planted the seed of those things those thoughts those feelings those attitudes in the heart of Judas Iscariot and Judas began to think about how the Lord was not doing what he thought the Lord should do and how there was money to be had and nobody would ever know and how betraying Jesus would just be one act in his lifetime when Judas betrayed the Lord for the money and when the Lord was hanging on a cross between two thieves the enemy believed he had won the day Satan stood back from that hill of Calvary and he looked and he thought this is what I had in mind. He did everything he could. It wasn't enough. The Son of God will die. And then I'll be in control. God's plan will be defeated and my plan will win the day. And it might have been true except for two powerful words. What those words are? But Jesus. 
Satan had won the day, but Jesus. But Jesus used the cross as God's perfect means to redeem lost souls. This is what Jesus revealed on the cross. He revealed that his life was not taken, but given. Satan made the mistaken assumption of thinking that on the cross, Jesus' life was being taken away. It was being taken away by the Sanhedrin. It was being taken away by the Romans. It was being taken away by the soldiers. It was being taken away by the world. What he did not understand was Jesus gave his life away. He became the perfect sacrifice. It was what he intended to do from the very beginning. And he took our sin upon himself and he gave himself to be the redeemer of lost souls who placed their faith in a living Christ. This is what Jesus did through the cross. On the cross, he did everything necessary to break the power of Satan and to set the prisoners free. It was what he had always promised he would do. From that prophecy of the bruised hill through the prophecies of all of those that God sent forth to be messengers of, God's, uh, of, of the Lord's plan, it had always been the same. The one is coming. He will be the redeemer. He will give his life. And we will have hope and redemption through faith in him. The crucified Christ neutralized Satan's power to condemn. On the cross, Jesus cried out, It is finished. What did he mean by that? Was he referring to the death that would end his torment and allow him to return to heaven to the Father? By declaring it is finished was he saying his three years of ministry were over and he had done everything he was supposed to do. Was he saying all the prophecies about the Messiah had been fulfilled? What was he saying when he said it is finished? Well, he was saying all of those things and all of those things are true. But the most important thing he was saying was this. By giving his life on the cross, instead of being uh, Satan's moment of victory, the cross became the scene of his ultimate defeat. Jesus cried out, it is finished. And because of the cross, the enemy has lost his power and his authority. When Jesus carried your sin to the cross, when Jesus carried my sin to the cross, when Jesus purchased our forgiveness and offered us redemption, that meant everything Satan had tried to do, every strategy he had chosen, it just would not work. He can't accuse because sin has been forgiven. It's taken away as far as the east is from the west. And we hear the voice of the accuser and it says, you're guilty, you're guilty. And, and we're free to say, yes, I am, but I'm also forgiven. The sin is gone. He cannot demand that God punish us because Christ has become our advocate and he stands and appeals before the Father in our name and on our behalf. 
Through the cross, his ability to steal and kill and destroy has been neutralized by the crucified Jesus. You see, Jesus used the cross to destroy the power of the enemy. Christ is the source of our hope and our victory. Now, I'm not foolish. I understand real conflict still goes on in our world. People still make sinful decisions and make very destructive choices that harm themselves and other people. But I also know this. Even in the midst of that conflict, we are facing an enemy who is retreating in the face of sure defeat. The day is going to come when all of that is done with. And the crucified Christ will claim the victory. The one who died and rose again and ascended to the Father is going to come for his own. And when he comes, every vestige of wickedness will be completely destroyed. The lamb who was slain has won the conflict. Our hope is secured by the power of the cross. I love the way Henry Blackaby expresses it. This is what he says. The Christian never works toward victory. He always works from victory. Isn't that good? Isn't that true? We work from the victory of the cross. And Satan knows that because of the cross, God will seal his fate and ensure eternal life for everyone who places their faith in him. God has done everything that needs to be done for you and I to experience eternal salvation. This morning, I can't think of a better way to conclude this message than from the words of 1 Corinthians 15. Listen to what the Bible says. Beginning with verse 20, Paul declares this, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to the God, uh, the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now, when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. And that's the promise. What did the cross mean to Satan? In his mind, the cross would be a tool, an expression of violence, a means of destroying 
everything God sought to accomplish through his son. But the day would come when he would realize what he thought would become his victory would be his sure defeat. And what does the cross mean to Satan even today? It means your day is coming when you will be judged and you will be done away with and everything you sought to accomplish will come to nothing because of the cross and the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. It is the symbol of his greatest defeat. Now that's true for the world, but it's also true for individual lives because each one of us faces that decision. What am I going to do with the Christ who gave himself on the cross, who gave himself to buy my forgiveness, to be my advocate and my redeemer? What am I going to do with him? Because each one of us has to make that decision in our own lives. Will I trust him? Or will I turn away? Will I believe the Savior? Or will I believe the deceiver? Today is the day when you need to make that decision clear and plain. If there's never been that point in your life where you have said to Jesus Christ, Lord, I recognize I've been deceived. I recognize I've gone the wrong way. I recognize that I have rebelled against you. But I also know this. You still love me enough to send your son who died for me so that if I trust him, I can have everlasting life. Maybe today is the day when you need to make that decision. I will trust Jesus. If so, in just a moment, when we stand and we sing our invitation hymn, it'll be an opportunity for you to come. And I'll be glad to meet you here and explain to you how you can come to know Jesus as your personal Savior. Maybe you're here today and the Lord is saying, this is where I want you to plant your life. I want you to bring your membership to First Baptist Church and serve me through this place. Maybe the Lord's dealing with you about some specific issue in your life and you just need to talk to somebody and you need to pray for somebody with somebody. And I'll be glad to do that as well. Is there a decision you need to make? We're going to stand. We're going to sing. As God speaks to your heart, you come.